0: You know, it's funny if you think about it, we live in a day and time where every aspect of our life, our visual life especially, is controlled by algorithms. If you don't know what an algorithm is, that is a, a pattern, if you will. It's a process. It's a set of rules that are set up by calculations. So basically, when you get on Facebook, you get on any social media, when you get on the internet... There's an algorithm based on your patterns. They're watching you. They're watching the things you say, how you spend your money, what you spend your time on. And they're making sure that they're putting the right pattern in front of you where it grabs your attention. It's why you can go to your friend and say, did you see so-and-so's post on Facebook? And they'll look at you and say, no, I didn't say it. Maybe their algorithm's different. Maybe they don't interact with that person like you interacted with that person. Maybe they don't comment on that person's stuff like you comment on that person's stuff. So on your algorithm, it didn't show up. You can send somebody something. It's funny, our kids, all of our family, we love TikTok. We're, we're that healthy family that all sits around the couch together and doesn't talk, but we're all on TikTok. And um, our algorithms are different. What shows up on Emily's TikTok, they think it's called the For You page. The things they think she likes are different than what show up on my page. They learn those patterns. And the reality is, life has always been about patterns. There's certain things that we do if we want to be successful, and there's certain things we do if we want to fail. There's certain things that we do if we feel the need to find purpose, and there's certain things we do if we want to wander aimlessly, and no one arrives anywhere unintentionally. We arrive where we arrive based on the choices that we make. God created us to live this life and live it to the max. He gave us this amazing thing called life and gave it to us to live to the fullest. You get one shot at this amazing thing called life. There are no do-overs. You can live to be 100 years old, and in the blink of an eye, that 100 years seems like nothing. The Bible says life is but a vapor. It's but a mist. We're here for a little while, and then we're gone. You go out and stand in front of the church on a Sunday morning, you'll see people that are vaping, and they blow the smoke, or they blow the vape, I guess, You would call it, and as fast as it shows up, it disappears. It's kind of humbling that the Bible says that about our lives. In the grand scheme of things, we come and we go. We get one shot. There's no do-overs. And yet so many of us waste this amazing thing called life. We waste this gift, and make no mistake about it, it is a gift today. To go, you get up every morning and you get another shot to live the life you were created for. And what's sad is so many of us never think about living
1: life until we're at the end of our life. One of the great philosophers said the glory of God is a man, woman,
0: fully alive. There's no greater way that we honor God than to live this life to the max, a life of no regrets, a life of risk-taking, a life of not playing it safe because the end goal is not to arrive safely but to arrive fulfilled. Knowing that we did what we were put on this earth, <coughs> you have to bear with me, my voice is giving out, that we lived and we arrived to do what we were put on this earth for. We're starting this series today called The Algorithm of Life. And the premise of this series is real, real simple. Just like the algorithm of your life on social media, there's an algorithm to successful living. There's an algorithm that if you were to interview some of the most successful people in the world, though they go about it in different ways, that there's some patterns that they have developed over the way. You've heard me say this a million times. At the end of your life, you're going to be put in the ground and there's going to be a tombstone and there's going to be the date you were born and there's going to be the date you died. And the middle of those two dates is simply going to be a teeny, tiny dash. And that dash has to tell the story of everything you've ever done, everything you've ever accomplished, everything... Every failure, every success, every win, every loss can be summed up in the dash. Every relationship you've ever had, and yet we neglect that dash like it's just some random thing. I don't know very much, so let me make that very clear to you. I have never got on this stage and thought I was the smartest preacher in all the world. I've never told you I'm the smartest guy in all the world. I don't know the answer to everything, but I know a few things, and I know simply this. God created you.
1: God loves you. God does not make mistakes. God does not make failures. He made you in His image. He conquered death, and He rose from the
0: grave So you and I could have life. And God has a plan for your life. You say, Gary, you don't know what I've done or what I've been through. Let me reiterate this. God has a plan for your life. There is no plan B in God's plan. You say, what happens if we get off course? The minute you get off course, there again becomes plan A. Because he's not the king of second chances. He's the king of one million chances if that's what you need. That's good news today.
1: What a limiting God if we only get one second chance. We'd all be in bad shape.
0: God has a plan for your life. He says this in John ten ten. He says, I have come so that they may have real and eternal life. A better life than they ever dreamed of. I don't know about you, but I am a big dreamer. I just got done with a very busy season in my life career-wise. And so for about the next week, I will be toast. My brain will be mashed potatoes. My body aches. I will rest for about a week. And really, in the line of work that I'm in, I work in the spring and I work in the fall. So at the end of the day, when I got home last night, for all intents and purposes, I am done until April. She says, Amen now. But she knows what's about to happen. She knows I'm going to be tired this week. She knows that next week I have a little event at the end of the month and I'll focus on that a little bit and we'll get ready for the holiday at the mill. And then we'll go into the holidays and I'll stay a little bit busy.
1: And then January will come and I will go into this severe funk because I'll be bored.
0: And I will begin to tell her and whine to her that I have no purpose in my life. That I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing, and she'll coddle me for a little bit, for about three days. Then she will have enough of my whining. It's the algorithm, if you will, it's the pattern. She will tell me to get over it and figure it out. And by then, I will be well-rested. I will have went through my funk. I will have had my wife set me straight. And then the part she dread begins.
1: Christine, guess what? I got an idea. Now, I know back in November, we were cutting back this next year. But think about this. I know we don't need to do eight festivals, but let's do four
0: festivals and make them three-day festivals with on-site camping, and let's go rent this, and let's do that. And the dreaming will just come. So what I'm trying to tell you is I feel like I'm a pretty big dreamer.
1: And the Bible says God has a better life than we ever dreamed of.
0: So I have a pretty creative imagination And yet the Bible says God has a life designed for me crazier than any
1: life that I've ever dreamed of. That's amazing. God wants the best for you.
0: God wants you to thrive in life and not survive in life. God wants you, and I'm going to throw out every cliche I can today, God wants you to be a victor and not a victim. Life is ours
1: for the taking. But the key phrase there is we have to take it. We have to put in to work the patterns that God has laid out to live a successful life. It doesn't just happen, God gives us the guidebook, He gives us the model. He gives us the bones and we got to put the skin on it. There's
0: many ways we go about living the life. The way that I live a life of purpose is different than the way say Brandon will live a life of purpose. The way I live a life is different than the way that Speedy will live a life of purpose. Thank God. The way I live life is different than a rod or whoever. But if you get down to it and you begin to peel away at the layers of the onion or you pull back the skin, the bones of that are the same. The foundation of successful living is the same. It takes many shapes and many colors and many forms. But there's some algorithms that we have to learn in our life. And we're going to look at these Over the next month. Today we're going to look at the fact we need to live passionately. Next week we're going to talk about the fact that we need to love completely. The third week of the series we're going to talk about this one so key we got to learn from the past. Because guess what? All those messes you
1: think you made in life was God just equipping you for your purpose in life. The mess... The mistakes, the past, the screw-ups, they make you treasure the todays. And then last one, I think
0: this is an overlooked one. I don't even know if we're taught on this. We're going to talk about leaving a legacy.
1: It's funny, the older I get, the more I think about what am I going to leave when I'm gone. I have kids that I want to leave a legacy to. Hopefully, about 20 years from now, I will have grandkids, maybe 30 years from now. No time soon do I want grandkids, but I want to leave a legacy to them. I want to
0: leave something to them where they look at my life and say, man, we learned this from, I don't know, I guess G-Daddy is what I would be called. I don't want to be Papa. Papa. Oh, G-daddies. G-
1: not granddad, G-daddy. That's what
0: I want to be called. Maybe I do want some grandkids a lot quicker now, just so they can call me that. I'm pushing for my kids to call us G-daddy and hot mama, but they say it's weird for them to call Christine hot mama, so, you know, I don't have much to say in it. I don't want to be grandma. That's lame. No offense to the grandmas. I'm just saying. I'm too cool to be a grand... I'm not a grandpa. Chuck, what are you...
1: What are you, Chuck? Of course you are. You gotta live passionately.
0: But I wanna cover these topics, and I think they're important because they create the algorithm for our life. So, step one in living a life of purpose, as you're looking to build the life that God created you for, a life of passion, you gotta live life passionately. Let me make this clear to you nothing great. Ever happens without passion. Nothing. The driving force behind all great art, all great music, all great literature, all great drama, all great architecture, the the passion behind everything, the driving force behind every great business that was started was passion. Passion is what propels people to break records. Passion pushes scientists to discover new cures for diseases. Passion is what gives us life, the kind of life that you want to get out of bed in the morning for. When you're living a life of passion, you don't dread Monday morning. We're going to make the most of this thing called life if we're going to set ourselves up to live the algorithm, the patterns that we need to be passionate or purposeful, we've got to be passionate. Bible says this in Mark 20, 30, love
1: the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, saying love God with everything that you are, everything.
0: The Message Bible, I love how the Message Bible words this, it, it says this way, so love the Lord God with all your passion, all your prayer, your intelligence, and your energy. God created everyone here. Let me make this very clear to you. He created everyone here with passion. The problem is we hear the word passion and we mistake it for being an extrovert or an introvert. Boy, Gary's passionate. No, I'm not not passionate because I'm an extrovert. I'm not passionate because I post 97 times a day on Facebook. I'm passionate because I'm passionate. You can be introverted and be passionate about something. has nothing to do with being extroverted. Introverted has everything to do with feeling things so deeply. Having something in your life that makes your heart leap, that makes you get out of bed in the morning. I can't wait for the alarm to go off in the morning. I've had multiple festivals in multiple weeks. The last one got done last night. I got home late, had an event Friday night here, had about two hours sleep. The
1: minute the alarm went on Saturday morning, boom, I was ready to go. I got home last night. I was tired. I was wore out. I flipped on the television for two seconds.
0: There was 47 seconds left. Alabama's driving. They tied the game. Suddenly, I'm like, crap, I didn't think I was hungry. I started looking in the refrigerator. There's some chicken fettuccine. I'm hooked. I'm, I'm, it's late. I'm tired. I'm eating fettuccine. I'm watching the game in overtime. I don't give two rips about LSU, but I hate Alabama like God does so bad. I'm sitting there I'm screaming at the television. And then Tate goes for the two point conversion, and they win. And Alabama loses, and it was amazing. And I went upstairs, and I was going to tell Christine that she gives two rips about football, and she was asleep. thought I'd been downstairs for about two minutes, to be honest with you. I'd been down almost 30, passionate about something. God created us that that thing that gets you to leap out of bed in the morning, even if that is just simply a hate for Alabama. Romans 12, 11 says this. It says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep. Keep. Don't, don't miss that word. But keep your fervor serving the Lord. See, that word keep is so important because if the Bible's saying to keep something, that implies you can lose it. God created you with a passion. But the problem is we lose that
1: passion in the routine of life. The tyranny of the urgent. Life becomes this
0: algorithm that it never should have been because it's all about patterns. Algorithms can be good and they can be bad. Instead of living a life where the algorithm is about living passion, the algorithm becomes, man, let's get through the week where we can enjoy two days, get back up on Monday morning, go to a job that we hate, come home, Barely have enough money to pay the bills. Go through the routine again on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. That's not what we were created for. God did not create us to live a life of just going through the motions and living a life that we detest. God creates us to live a life of passion. But keep your
1: spiritual fervor serving the Lord. The reality is, is life can beat you up. It's easy. Work happens. Children happen. Marriage happens. Bills happen. Relationships happen.
0: And after a while, it gets overwhelming. And we get so busy, and this is why, even though it's a cliche, I already said, but we get so busy surviving
1: that we don't even realize that we're not thriving until it's too late. It sneaks up on us. I'm in the process with somebody and we're trying to open a business in a city. And there's these
0: extreme cases in the line of work that we're doing, trying to open a distillery, and when you, long story short, when you store Whiskey in barrels, it releases an ethanol. And over time, the ethanol creates what's called a black mold. It's a harmless black mold. It's just ugly. And it's happening in Kentucky, where there's hundreds of thousands of barrels that have been being stored for hundreds of years. The city council in the town that we're going to is a little bit concerned about it, rightfully so. You do the research, and so they're asking questions. But they fail to
1: realize something. Yes, the whiskey mold can happen if you don't stay on top of it. If you neglect it. If you let it grow for years upon
0: years upon years without simply pressure washing it, that's how you deal with it. It's an easy fix. It can get out of hand. So they asked us in the work session, how do you plan on handling it? And we said, well, we'll handle it As we see it, we said, if it makes you comfortable once a year, we will do a review with the city of our building and the adjoining buildings, and if you see it, we'll eradicate it. See, when you begin to eradicate it in the beginning stages, it goes away.
1: But when you ignore it, it gets to where you can't contain it. Kind of like life. We get in that routine. We don't realize we're in the routine. We don't
0: realize that we haven't really talked to our spouse in three or four days. We don't realize that we haven't been on a date with our spouse in a month. We don't realize we haven't had any one-on-one time with our children because life is happening. But suddenly that month becomes three months, and suddenly that no date for a week becomes two weeks, and it becomes
1: three weeks, and all of a sudden you've drifted apart. It creeps up on us. So you've got to be watching it. You've got to live
0: that life of passion. Life can beat you up. The problems and the pressures and the stresses of life can begin to drain you, but you've got to stay on it. Howard Truman said this, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do it. Because what the world needs, he said, is people who have come alive. I've been to a lot of business conferences on startups, and I, I think they've got it wrong. They'll tell you over and over and over, look around your community and see what the needs are. No! Look around the community and see what you're passionate about. Because I see needs all the time that can be met, but they don't get me passionate. And if I'm not passionate about them, I'm not going to want to do them long term. What my family needs is me passionate. What my wife needs, my children need, what you need, what the community needs, is us passionate about what we're doing. There's a great story in the Bible about some dudes living out this important principle of living passionately. I love this story. I've preached on it 900 times at this church. because I love it. I think it's awesome. I think it's a perfect example of what true friendship is. The Bible says in Luke 5 18, some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. So this man's paralyzed, can't walk. His friends lay him on a mat. They say, man, let's get him to Jesus. Jesus can heal him. Let's get him to Jesus. That's some good friends. They didn't ignore the problem. Let's get him to Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, so let's get him to Jesus. Oh, my God, look at all the people around him. We can't get to him. They went up to the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of
1: the crowd right in front of Jesus. But when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. These guys have a paralyzed friend. They get the good idea to take him to Jesus.
0: They get there, there's so many people, they can't get him to Jesus. So one of these rednecks says, hey, hold
1: my beer. I got an idea. What if we climb on the roof of this house? It ain't their house. But they want to get their friend to Jesus. Not only are we going
0: to climb on the roof while Jesus is teaching in the house, Let's just start cutting a hole in the roof.
1: Once we cut a hole in the roof, we're just gonna lower him down. The other friend looked at that redneck friend and said, Sounds perfect. The third friend said, I'm in.
0: Fourth friend, he probably had a little He said, Why not? Give me another beer.
1: And they begin to do it. And because they did it, their friend was healed. The Bible goes on to say after Jesus
0: is telling this story. He said, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up and take your mat and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what had been lying, and he went praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were full of awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today.
1: I love the way that story ends. We've seen remarkable things today. That's the kind of life I want to live. I want my algorithm to say, man, we have seen remarkable
0: things today. Today was insane. You wouldn't believe what happened. We saw remarkable things. That's the life God created us for, a life that is remarkable, a life that is spectacular. God created you. He shaped you. He formed you, and he did not... Form you to go through the motions, and some of you are wasting your life,
1: and I don't get it. It makes no sense to me. I was talking to one of my vendors yesterday.
0: I saw her getting out of the car, and she I owned a boutique or T-shirt or something, but what caught my attention was she was by herself, and she had four bang energy drinks in her hand, walking over it. And I said, are you drinking all those today? She said, yeah, probably. I said, you're going to drink all four of those drinks
1: today? She said, yeah, I drink four to five a day. I said, how do you do that? And she said she
0: had some disease. I can't remember what she called it. Um, What do you call it when you don't sleep? Insomnia. What's the opposite of insomnia? Insomnia. Was a narcoled. She said she, she said she can be sitting at a red light and just fall
1: asleep. I said, Oh, you must be related to my father-in-law. No, I'm just I said, So you'll just fall asleep? She said, Yeah, I'll just fall asleep. I said, So you mean you can be mid-sentence? She goes, Yeah, and I can fall asleep.
0: I said, that's cr- She said, if I wasn't here today and I was at my house, I'd probably sleep 18 hours today and still be tired. I said, have you ever been to a doctor about that? No, I said, how long have you been dealing with that? That's what I said. She said, about five years.
1: I said, have you ever been to a doctor about that? She said, I finally went to a doctor a month ago.
0: And I walked away, and I thought to myself, you just slept the last five years of
1: your life away and never went to see what was wrong with you? What a waste. But we do it all the time. We sleepwalk through life and never make any changes. It was crazy.
0: At the end of the night, she was pulling the truck up, and I was coming down the road, and this guy came up to me. I assumed the guy was with her. And he said, is it okay if she pulls up on that hill? And I said, I don't care what she does, as long as she doesn't fall asleep. And the guy's like, oh, why would she fall asleep? Then I realized I was airing her dirty laundry out there for everybody. I said, oh, I thought you were with her. I'm trying to be.
1: So I said, well, I hope you like to sleep. I <laughs> just kept on walking. But man, five years of just going through the motions and never finding out what's wrong, I don't understand it. I want to live a life of remarkable things. are happening.
0: Wouldn't it be awesome? Wouldn't it be remarkable if at the end of the every day we looked at our spouse or we looked at whoever we're doing life with or we called our friends and said, man, you ain't going to believe what happened today. It was so incredible. I stepped out, I took this risk, and this happened. These dudes were trying to get their friend to Jesus, but they ran into a problem. Verse nineteen said there was a crowd of people around. The worst thing in life that keeps us from living a life of passion is a crowd in life. Man, we book ourselves and we plan ourselves and we we make ourselves so busy. And especially if you're parents, it's so easy. You got football and band and cheer, and this one's got to get to work, and this one's got to go there, and this one's got to go there. And your spouse works, and you work, and life just gets crazy. Crowded life, man, will zap you, sap you quicker than anything. When our life is so crowded with stuff, and we crowd our life with stuff that doesn't matter,
1: but we fill it, and it takes away time from the things that do matter. So how do we live a life passionately?
0: The story lays it out. The algorithm of life, we've got to live passionately, but we've got to take the steps to do it. It's not enough to say, Yes! I'm jacked up about living passionately. What do I got to do? The first thing we got is you got to do something drastic. Do something drastic. Verse 19, when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went to the roof and lowered him on his mat to house in the middle of the crowd, right in front of everyone. All they're trying to do is get their friend to Jesus. And yet the crowd was so thick, they couldn't do it. Let's be honest. I'm not crapping on you because I probably would have done the same thing.
1: Most of us would have turned around and went home. We tried. Our heart was in the right place. My intentions were good. I wanted to give them to Jesus. I, I meant to call about that job. I meant to take that risk. I
0: meant to step out in faith, and I just never got around to it. Something happened.
1: Life got busy. The crowd set up and I turned around and went home. Nice try. These dudes climbed on the freaking roof. Cut a hole in the roof. Don't try this at home. That's drastic. To get what no one else is getting, you've got to be willing to do what no one else is doing. The
0: problem with all of us is we've been conditioned by society on what life is supposed to be. Life's a nine-to-five job. Life's working for someone else to make their dreams come true.
1: We're a society that glorifies long hours. I put in 70 hours this week. Some smartass today was like, Gary's never put in a full work week's worth of work. I took it as a compliment. I did. I, I was like, man, I get to provide for my family pretty well. and Don't even in this guy's mind have to put in a full work week. Good for me. Because the goal of my life is not to work all the time. Some of the days, they say, man, all, the, on the opposite end... I was like, man, all you do is work. I said, no, I don't. I said I work right now, it's October, it's festival season. But I won't work in December, January,
0: February, March. I have to do it again in April. And then guess what? When my kids get out of school, June,
1: July, and August, I won't work. Pretty good gig.
0: Gotta do something drastic.
1: If we're gonna live a life of passion, you've got to make some
0: drastic lifestyle changes. I'm not talking about altering your life a little. I'm talking about doing what is necessary to live life on point. Keep doing what you've been doing, guess what? Keep getting what you've been getting. Someone said, I don't understand why every relationship I get into goes
1: bad. Well, you keep dating the same person, they just have different names. It didn't work the first time. It didn't work the second time. Didn't work the fifth time. Why do you think it's going to work this time? What's the definition of insanity? Same thing over and over and over. Got to make some directions. Here's my question to you. If you knew you only had one month to live, what would you
0: do? If they came to you and said, you have 30 days to live. Now, during that 30 days, you're not going to be sick. You're not going to be in a hospital. You have 30 days. You get to live those 30 days. But on
1: day 30, when it's over, you're dead. What would you do? What would get your time? What would get your attention?
0: What would matter to you? The question's a game changer. It eliminates things that don't matter. It puts us at the forefront. I also understand it doesn't always work in life. Because if I had 30 days to live, I wouldn't be putting on festivals. I understand that. But it allows you to see things through a different lens and make some drastic changes. It shows you what matters and what doesn't matter. My wife and I, I think one of the things that we do well is we make sure we spend time together. For whatever reason, her crazy self likes to spend time with me. I think it's because I feed her. I don't know what it is. And we did really good this time. We were going on dates, we were doing good. We did good. I was proud of us. She only fought with me like three times. That's good. But she gets really stressed out when I'm busy and tries to pick fights with me. And um, over nothing. Or maybe it's me that does that. I can't remember. But we did good. But even though we did good, the end of the day was coming last night, and I was sitting there, and the band was playing. It was one of the few moments I got to sit down. She'd run around all day. We were texting back and forth. And I said, I can't wait
1: to spend the next few days just with you and the kids. Can't wait. I'm looking forward to it. Why? Because I haven't got to do it lately.
0: Even the time that we've had together, I had to think about the next event the next weekend. We have a routine on Monday. I said, I need to change the routine on Monday. I want to spend time with you. Maybe we'll go hiking. Maybe we'll go do this. I don't know. She said, well, all you're going to want to do is sleep. I said, well, if I sleep, I want you beside me. So she got everything done that she normally does on Monday, yesterday, where we can spend time together. But it's a game changer, doing something drastic. Some of you need to do something drastic. Some of you need to do something drastic in your marriage because your marriage is stale and it's about to fall apart. Something you need to do, something drastic when it comes to your children because your children are growing up without you and you have no bond with them. Something you need to do, something drastic in your career because you're miserable at your job. Isn't it funny how comfortable we become in discomfort? I heard so the other day, someone was talking about, about the election. They said, I'd rather have the evil that I know than the evil that I don't know. I don't want any of the evil." One of the life I was created for, you got to do something drastic. The second thing, though, if you're going to do something drastic, get ready for this, because this is where some of you trip up. you got to expect the unexpected. Some of you step out and do the
1: drastic thing. You take the first step anyway. But then it doesn't go the way you expect it to go. You expect a fastball down the middle and a
0: curveball comes on the outside corner and you weren't ready for it. Is that a correct analogy? Because I don't watch
1: baseball. Sounded really good. See, the problem is we prioritize our life around what's important. Our plan. Our plan. You come up with your plan. Let me give you some earth-shattering news that you're going to find this shocking. Ready?
0: Life doesn't always go as you plan. Life has this way of interrupting you. There will always be things that come into your life that are crazy and hectic. That's when you have to lighten up and maybe realize that your plan wasn't God's plan, and God's plan is better than your plan.
1: When the expected, unexpected comes, that's when you say, God, I, you got this. God, you're in
0: control because our greatest problem is, of surviving a busy schedule is we try to control everything. And you can't control everything. Really what we try to do and we don't realize that we're doing that is we try to play God. I'll call this shot and I'll call that shot and I'll do this and this will fall into place. And you want to make God laugh, just tell him your plans. I've learned the older I get, I have to be like water. Water's amazing. Water just goes down the river and rocks, it just goes around them. It goes over them. It shapes and forms around the obstacles. It's amazing how it happens. A year ago, the city of Ballgrounds said, hey, November 5th, we want you to do a festival. I don't really have any say when they want to do the festival. That's the day they picked. Who in their right mind would have known that number one, Tennessee, would have been playing number three, Georgia? And what they were saying was one of the biggest games in college football history in the state where the team plays. So you know what I could have done on Monday when I realized what time the game started? Because the game started at 3.30, and the festival ran 12 to 8.
1: I could have went to a funk. I could have got angry. I had to accept some things. I had to accept, guess what, the crowd's going to
0: drop at 3.30. But I'm going to do what I can to keep it from dropping. So we went into the We got Chad on the phone. I talked to Chad, and Chad, Chad man, you tell Chad an idea. He's going to make it happen. And they said, you know, we had the trees from um, the truck set up, and there was a television broadcasting the game. We had cornhole boards and we had food up there. And suddenly, that area began to fill with people. And I was standing there yesterday and Chad came... I don't even know if Chad's here today. Chad came up to me and was like, man, this is way more people watching this game than I thought was going to be watching the game. I said, yeah, every one of these people would have been home. There's not a ton of people here now. But all these people would have been gone. You've got to adapt sometimes. Guess what? CBS didn't care that Gary Lamb had a festival. Because trust me, I tagged them in a lot of posts on Twitter to let them know my thoughts, and they never responded.
1: These dudes had a plan. Get our friend to Jesus. But life happened, and their best plan was worthless. Here was the
0: difference between them and us. They knew God was still in control. These guys got created. They said, let's
1: climb up on the roof. Let's climb up on the roof. Don't tell me they weren't from the south. Let's cut a hole in the roof. Drop him down there. And then here's an amazing verse, verse 20. When Jesus saw their fate, not when he saw the paralyzed man's fate. Don't miss that. When he saw their fate, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. They were expecting Jesus to heal him. The whole reason they got him to Christ is where Christ would heal him. Of his
0: physical ailments. But the unexpected happened. Jesus also held him, healed him of his spiritual ailments. He said, your sins are forgiven. We need to learn how to receive sometimes the unexpected when the unexpected happens. Jesus knew what was best for this man. They thought it was just physical. Jesus knew he needed his spiritual healing too. We have to come to the place where we make our plans, we decide what's important, we prioritize, but when life interrupts, we say to God, God,
1: you know best. And I'm trusting you. Because you I mean me? <laughs> I say this as loving as possible. You're a stupid idiot. If you think your plans are going to go like you lay them out.
0: I say that is the most loving way I can and the most pastoral heart way that I can. You're a stupid idiot.
1: It doesn't happen that way. Life happens. And the problem is we make our plans and we lay it all out and life
0: gets interrupted and don't miss this. It doesn't go the way we think it'll go, and we begin to lose our passion, and we're called to live passionately. But the curveballs keep us from living that life, and we begin to
1: just to give up on life. It was hard. Well, if it wasn't hard, everyone would do it. Marriage, hard. Parenting. Friendships. Starting a business, hard. Paying your bills, hard. Life is hard.
0: You've got to expect the unexpected. I'm trying to control this. The curveball comes, and what normally happens is the curveball is God.
1: It just doesn't look like God. They weren't thinking, man, that crowd is God. It was God. God wanted them on that roof, and God wanted to see their faith, and because he saw their faith, he healed the man. It was crowded. We would have looked at it and seen a problem. They looked at it and saw an opportunity. That's the difference. So, we're going to expect the unexpected.
0: The next thing we're going to do, man, this is so key, and this is the one that most of us miss out on. We're going to create God's space in our life. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and they lowered into the mat and through the
1: tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus.
0: In the craziness of that day, in the craziness of the plan, in the craziness of the crowd, the best place for that man to be was in front of Jesus. Right in the middle of the chaos, right in the middle of the insanity, right in the middle of the busyness, they created room for Jesus. In the same way, in the middle of our crazy lives, in the middle of our overscheduled lives, we have to create space
1: intentionally to meet with Jesus. You know why I think this is the best busy period of our time?
0: Because for the first time, I didn't get so busy that I didn't make time for Jesus. I didn't do it seven days a week. I started it all seven days a week, and towards the end, I, it might have been four days a week or three days a week, but I got up in the first part before I was dead, and I was going to work out, and then I was coming home my she was still working was sitting on the back deck, and I was having my devotion time. Then it got to where I would get down here, and I'd have my devotion time because I was using u and it was sending me updates. I was like, crap, i got to do that in the middle of the business, in the middle of the emails, in the middle of the phone calls, in the middle of the playing, I would just step back and say, you know, I need to take 10 minutes, at least 5 minutes, sometimes 15 minutes, and I've got to make time for Jesus. And then I had this stupid idea to do a series called Monsters and cover topics that I've never covered before, because normally I try to cover topics that I've already covered during my busy time where I don't have to study so much. But those I really had to study for that series. So it forced me to be in the Bible. It forced me to be thinking what God wanted me to do, and it made time for Jesus. Christine and I are guilty sometimes. Let me rephrase that. I'm
1: guilty sometimes of falling into this thing that I call "when then" thinking. When November 5th done, then I'll have time. I'm not going to have time. I still got
0: kids. I still got a wife. I still got 732 dogs. I still got bills. It's just a different thing taking my time now. When then,
1: when things settle down.
0: I'll get around to making sure I have time with God.
1: When I'm not so busy, I'll take care of those things.
0: But we've realized some things over the years. This is just our life. It's busy. This weekend, I'll be off for the first time in six weeks, and guess what we'll do? We'll get up at the crack of dawn, and we'll drive to Alabama to watch our son play in the band in his last game of the season. Why? Because I ain't going to any of the games the last four or five weeks. So it's not a day off. It that sounds like a day off. It's not a day off. i got to drive two hours to watch a football team that I don't care anything about all the way to the end to watch my son play in the marching band. And I love that my son loves the marching band, and I love that he's in college with the marching band, but here's the deal, no offense, to the marching band, it doesn't really
1: float my boat. If my son wasn't in the marching band, I wouldn't be driving to Alabama to watch it. But I'll drive there.
0: And then I'll drive back and to make it worse, my mom and dad are going with me. And you know how me and my mom and
1: dad are. So it's not a day off. The point is life's always going to be busy. But you got to make time for God.
0: Even Jesus knew this. Mark 1, 35, very early in the morning. While it was still dark, Jesus got up and left the house and went off into a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Even Jesus knew the importance of alone time, unplugging time, quiet time. Christine does this every morning. I do it, and I can always tell when we're in tune because I'll be sending her messages and she'll be sending me messages, little clips and little things we've read, and it's the time that we're getting fed spiritually. I'm telling you, hey, listen, I believe Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except Him. I believe Jesus is the way. But maybe you're not there today. I'm telling you, you better be finding something that is zeroing you in in some type of faith, keeping you grounded in something. A time where you're able to clear your mind and focus on things that are bigger than you. They got this man in front of Jesus. That's the secret of maintaining a passion in a crowded world. It's been a long time since I did this. I got up yesterday morning. At 3.30 in the morning, I'd gotten in bed about 12.45, that show here Friday, and I was feeling it. I'm not going to lie, it was five weeks in a row. I felt like my eyes were swollen, and I, I was having a pity party. And I sat down on the commode. I didn't have to go to the bathroom. I, just, I, I was literally sitting on the commode with my pants up, and I was rubbing my eyes. And I got emotional for a minute. And I had to ask for forgiveness for a minute. I just said, "Guy, it's been a while since we've talked.
1: I've been busy the last couple of days. I said, man, I, I am tired today. And God, the damn game is coming on at three 30. That's how I talk to God. That's mine and God's relationship. And I said, I'm irritable about it. So my attitude stinks.
0: It's the last festival and I'm tired and my vendors are tired and they know the game comes on at 3.32 and everyone's going to be in a rotten mood. And I said, God, if I show up in a rotten mood, I'm going to ruin it for everyone. And I had that quiet time and instantly my attitude began to change. And I got there and I pulled Bub off the side and I pulled Kristen off to the side. I said, here's the deal. Everybody's going to be in a bad mood today. I said, we show extra grace today during setup. When they're snapping at us, you show extra grace and we encourage them. None of that would have happened, and it was a smooth day. You know why? And I know why. It was because for once in my life, I started that day making some God space.
1: Making time for what matters. I don't have time for it. Yes, you do. You've got time to do what you want
0: to do. You've got time to post on social media. You've got time to send TikTok videos. Again, I ain't talking about an hour. I was talking about some time. With God, create that God space. It's the only thing that will fuel you passionately. It's the only thing that can fill you. I love my wife, and she fills me with purpose. But there's times she doesn't fill me with purpose. There's times I don't fill her with purpose. But God comes along and always refills our cup. He puts that new wine in the new wineskins, and it lets you go. A little bit longer. The event didn't go like I wanted it to go yesterday. Normally, I'd have been in a foul mood. Christy, would I have been in
1: a foul mood? And I was disappointed. Wasn't I a foul mood? No. What I texted you, I said, it is
0: what it is. There's nothing we can do about it. I said, there's a lot of vendors here who made a lot of money today. They were all bragging about it. And I said, we made some money. And I said, guess what? We didn't lose money, so that's even win-win. And then
1: I sat back and I said, guess what? We're done <laughs>
0: But I know all of that happened because I started my day creating some God space. It was
1: so vital. Proverbs 10, 27 says this, reverence for God adds hours to each day.
0: That doesn't mean we get 25 hours instead of 24, but you know what it does mean? Reverence for God adds hours to each day. I added hours to my day yesterday by not being angry for two hours. You might find this surprising about me, but I have this ability that when I'm angry to make everyone else around me angry. Had I showed up with a rotten attitude, my team would have had a rotten attitude because they'd have fed off my energy. When my vendors showed up, they'd have fed off my team's energy, and my team and the vendors would have fed off the team's energy, and guess what the people who attended the festival would have fed off the vendor's energy. It was funny yesterday. I walked around because it was slow. I was able to walk around. And I saw some vendors killing it, killing it, man. No, there wasn't tons of people there, man. the lines were long, and this was going on. And and I watched them interacting with people, and the few people that were there. And so I went up to this one person. I said, man, I hate the crowd being low today. This guy runs
1: kind of a rockabilly um, T-shirt thing. He said, you know what? I said, what? He goes, if we owned a store...
0: We'd have been lucky today to have about 50, let's say, let's be optimistic. He said, have 100 people come in our store today. He said, this ain't one of your bigger events. But he goes, man, I had two to 3,000 people pass by my store today. And he goes, I sold three different things to people who told me we were the only vendors who even talked to them today. They came there and made money. He looked at me. He had tears in his eyes. He said, can I tell you something about your events? I said, what? He goes, I've seen you've been disappointed. He goes, that means the world to me that you're disappointed because it means you care about us. He goes, I know this isn't how you, because he comes to all my events, because this isn't how you wanted to go today. He said, but we made our mortgage today.
1: I wouldn't have made that sitting at home.
0: Walked on down, there with another vendor.
1: How'd you do today? Horrible? I said, Did you? I hate
0: to hear that. Guess what they were doing? Sitting in the back corner of their booth, watching the football game on their phone. I walked by about 10 minutes later. They were telling a customer in their booth how horrible their day was. You could see the customer just trying to get out of the booth so quick. All about God's space. All about attitude. Something about zeroing in on God. Buddy of mine posted the day on Facebook, struggling today, mad, angry, blah 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 blah. Can't shake it. I get that. I've been there. I messaged him. I called him. I said, "Man, let me give you some encouragement." Sounds cheesy. I said, "Crank up some worship music." About thirty minutes later, he said, Man, "Thanks." He sent me a DM. Thanks. Changed everything today. Just zeroing in on God. we're going to do something drastic, we're going to expect the unexpected, we're going to make God's space as we live passionately and last, and I'm done, and I'm going to go eat, and I'm going to go to sleep.
1: We're going to keep a constant reminder, a constant reminder. Check it out, Jesus heals the man. I love this part, I love this part. Jesus said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. That was what the paralyzed people laid on so they didn't get sores on their body.
0: I think the last thing that man wanted was the mat. He could walk now. He wanted to leave that mat there and never think about it again, but Jesus wanted to take it with him. It's interesting. He could have looked at him and said, take your mat and go throw it in the trash. You don't need it anymore. You'll never need that mat again. Get up and go throw it away. No, he said, Get up. And go take it with you. Because I want you to have a reminder of this day. Because what he knew was, and that sounds crazy to us, is the newness of the legs working what is going to wear off in about six months. Not that they were going to quit working, but the mindset of it. And when the man got up feeling sorry for himself because life happens, he wanted to look over the corner and say, damn, look at that mat. I couldn't walk six months ago, and... I just took all my energy. I'm totally dead now. <laughs> I, can't, I kid you not. I literally was. I literally threw up backstage. Day. That's how tired I am. I'm not. I'm not saying to see I'm saying, it like, I'm just say it. Like that. Just that was stupid. I really hurt now. Four six. <laughs> I didn't say it to see him. I'm just like, man, that was hard.
1: Look at that mat. That's what God did for me. It's so important to remember where you came from. I, I hate that we've been through hard times in our marriage. They were always her fault, but still I hate them. I don't ever want to forget them. Makes me appreciate the good times. I don't ever want to forget what it was like when I lost everything.
0: I have a scrapbook from my time in my previous church. It's packed away, so you know how you unpack stuff. Once every four or five years, I come across it.
1: And every time I come across it, what I'd open up and look through it. Not because I miss it. Not because I wish I was there. But it reminds me of where God's brought me from. I don't want to forget my past. I don't want to forget what I used to be. I don't want to forget where God's brought me
0: from. If you forget your past, guess what? Oh my goodness, you will repeat your past.
1: I love this phrase. The Bible says immediately, verse 25. Immediately. He stood
0: up in front of them, took what had been lying on, and he went home praising God. The word immediately speaks to us because we want to start today living that life. This isn't something you've got to work your way up to. I'm just working to get into that place where I can do this, Gary. Okay. Well, you're wasting your life. I'm not trying to be doom and gloom today. I am not trying to be anything. But you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Talking to a couple that attends our church every now and then, they're going through some hard times, but I saw this past week, one of the, the husband's sister died. Talking to me, I said, "Well, what happened? Was that expected?" John knows. I said, "No. She wasn't feeling good, and she went to the doctor, and they told her she had cancer. And she had three days to live, and she lived twenty-four hours."
1: I, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm simply saying you don't know when. So why are you going to waste your time? Immediately. No offense.
0: It's funny. When I moved here, I was 28 years old. I used to always be like a pastor of the young church in town. And in my mind, I still pastor the young church.
1: Oh, we old.
0: Like I had a church of like a thousand people before, and no one in the church had grandkids.
1: We were young. We old now. We got papas or whatever Chuck is. Like, Like my friends are grandparents. Like, Kylie Blankenship's a granddad. And Bubba, dear God in heaven, that poor grandkid. We're old. I don't feel old. You're old. Now, I'm still younger than most of y'all. And I feel old.
0: Immediately, they begin to change their life. At the end of your life, you'll have two dates and a dash. The algorithm of your life will dictate how successful
1: you were and success doesn't mean money. How filled you felt. First step is living passionately. You've got to do something
0: drastic. Expect the unexpected and make God's space and keep a constant reminder.
1: Immediately implies how quickly Jesus can change your life. algorithm of your life, it will all look different. But the bones won't. The foundation won't. And you've got to live passionately to live the life you were created for. Let's pray.